Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are returning guests, my brother Dave Osler and my friend Jerry Renshaw. Welcome to the podcast. Thank Good to you. Um, Jerry, tell that you're coming via Zoom. Tell us where you are right now. I live in Alpine, Utah. And David, where are you coming from? I'm coming from Falls Church, Virginia. Um, but we just bought um, uh, a vacation home in Midway, Utah. So um, I'm going to be dual resident. We like that news. Um, that's great. Um, Jerry Lee was on episode 186. Um, great episode on working to make the ward safe for everybody. David Osler um, has been on a couple episodes. The most recent one was episode 514, um, Principles to Keep the Family Strong When One Leaves the Church. David, as you may know, is the author of Bridges, Ministering to Those Who Question. Terrific book, um, available at Desert Book and Amazon. I kind of tracked the top 100 books on Amazon. And your book, even though it's a couple years old, continues to be in the top 50 or top 100 and I recognize the content that you produce in that book, and we're going to talk about that. Geraldine's been talking about that is needed in our faith community. But listeners, um, the focus of this podcast is a support group that Geraldine, I think, founded, and David co-founded or got involved, and they'll talk about that. But it's a Facebook support group for Latter-day parents of adult children, especially adult children that are that have stepped away from the church. And it's a wonderful group of just teaching gospel principles to keep the family together. And um, I'm a member of that group and have been a member of a group for a long time, and it's accomplishing a lot of good. So I just, as I was reading content there one day, and Jerry and David's work as moderators, I just thought there's probably listeners out there that would enjoy being a part of that group because they're walking this road with adult children that aren't fully or not participating in the church. And they're often walking this road alone, and they don't really have a community um, to help them navigate this new reality of their life, which can be very difficult. Um, so this is the focus of the podcast, and um, our joint prayers, this will help you. Um, and there may be some of you listening that don't have adult children that aren't participating in the church, but it may give you principles and insights as a parent or as a local leader or as a friend on tools to help support people um, in their unique journeys. Jerry and David, is that okay for an introduction? It is. I just have one correction. It was Good. David's brainchild. It was his idea to start this group. And then I jumped in and said, oh, that's something I could really, you know, get excited about because I had experienced it as a parent. So we'll give the credit to Dave. See, I can't remember these things, David. What year was it? Do you remember that? Well, 2019. Yeah. And I'll give you a little backstory Good. on this because uh, I'm not smart enough to say this is a good idea, but um, I was talking with the bishop about um, uh, adult disaffiliation, and he mentioned to me that a real need that he had in his ward was where parents um, have children who've stepped away from the church, and they just have kind of a, a lonely path sometimes, and he didn't know what to offer them, and if there was a community where they could participate together um, and kind of share their pain or their ideas or their successes. And so that's when um, I thought, based on his uh, 
uh, suggestion that the group would be created. And Carolee is a very effective moderator, so she's done just a great job in terms of growing and nurturing the group. Um, but it really kind of came from that conversation that I had with that that bishop. Um, tell our listeners or how many are in the group. And tell us we have what maybe fifteen hundred, sixteen. Yeah, we have a little over fifteen hundred as of this morning when I checked. Yeah. And tell our listeners the name of the group. So the name of the group is uh, Bridges. I'm just looking it up to make sure that I get the name actually right. Bridges Support for Latter Day Saint Parents of Adult Children, and it's on Facebook with the tag Bridges LDS Parents. So you could search for either of those and and find it. And there's a set of membership questions that uh, Geraldine and I worked up to um, make sure that the group worked for everyone. Uh, Geraldine, do you remember specifically what all three of those questions were? I don't. I could look them up if you want me to. But basically, we just want to know if um, we want to make sure the person is a member of the church and that they have adult children because that's our focus. So it probably wouldn't be the kind of group for somebody with young children to come into, you know, adult children who have had a change in belief, either left the church or just a shift in belief, no longer feel the same as, as they were probably taught at home by their parents. Um, and then, and then I think the last question is just, will you agree to the group rules? And there's a, there's a link there for people to be able to see what the group rules are so that everybody feels safe in engaging there. So I think that's it. Yeah, the, the the rules are really good, and Geraldine helped to really put these together, but they're designed to really create a safe space. Not everyone, you know, that's in the group believes the same, um, and we're not there to kind of dispute whether the church is this, that, or the other. We're really there to support each other um, as as parents, and so we make sure that the group is safe that way. It's not commercial. People are really expressing kind of their journey and their feelings uh, and how they feel. And, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of contention or policing that happens. And uh, Geraldine's usually first on it and helps the person understand that, you know, we're not there to kind of debate each other. We're really there to kind of help each other. And I think it's a good community for that. And um, we've worked hard to to kind of make sure that you know, sometimes if there's a group member that, that you know, has left the church because maybe their child left the church, that that's not an appropriate group for them. And so we'll uh, disinvite them from the group and make sure that the, the group serves its purpose. So you want um, parents that are in the church and there'll be other groups for parents that are also out of the church if their kids are. Yeah. Um, and go ahead. there's there's also... Um, a, you know, a number of parents um, of LGBTQ kids that are in the group. And um, we also make sure that it's safe for them. Um, and sometimes there can be comments that um, are wounding uh, for parents who have uh, LGBTQ kids. And so we have a kind of a an extra set of, um, of guidelines on how to frame up issues with regards to uh, sexual orientation and identity. 
Yeah, we have a moderation policy on discussions about LGBTQ um, topics. And many of our members are listeners of yours, Richard, that have come to us because um, of different posts that you've had. So we try to be sensitive so that all parents, for whatever reason they're there and whatever their own belief is, um, can feel safe and feel less alone on this journey because it can feel very isolating sometimes as a parent. Um, and we're going to get in um, some of the more background, but as I've read posts in there at times, people are really vulnerable, and I recognize that people need a safe place, and they're not quite sure how to process this, perhaps with their congregation, how people respond, but they're very vulnerable, they're very courageous, but the comments I see and the links to resources and the principles other people that have been on this road longer, there's kind of this new to the space, and I've been in the space a while um, that I think is very helpful for people that are new to this reality. And the content people are sharing, to me, is often very, very helpful. And I've noticed usually people post as their Facebook profile, but I think you have a, an ability that if someone wants to post as a group member, um, perhaps their situation's confidential and they don't, but they need the principles people would share based on their story. So I don't know if you want to talk about the two ways to post, but that's just something and the healing and the hope and the principles that are shared often. I've had tears in my eyes first reading the post, but then reading the comments that I'm, I'm guessing are really helpful to the poster. Yes, we do have the option in the group of posting anonymously. So when somebody wants to share something and maybe they know other people in the group and there's something they're not comfortable with, you know, people in real life knowing, they can create a post anonymously and then it's approved by a member of the moderation team and then it goes into the group. So um, that does happen from time to time pretty frequently. Um, and then, you know, and if that helps them to feel a little safer, they can put whatever it is out there on the table that they'd like input on. And that seems to work out really well. Not all groups have that option, but we felt like for um, the parents in this situation, that that was a helpful option to be able to post anonymously. Doesn't show your profile picture or your name that way. Um, let's start. If either of you like to share your personal story, both of you are pretty open with kind of your personal story. Um, who wants to go first? If either of you mm -hmm. want to talk about that. I'm happy to go first. I've shared a little bit of my story on other episodes here with you, Richard, so I'll be kind of brief, but a little over 10 years ago, one of our children came to us in what I would now um, refer to as a near complete faith deconstruction. And I couldn't have been more shocked, stunned. It really felt like the rug was pulled out from under me. This was um, a child who I had never had, you know, much concern about or worry about and had always done all the things that we had taught them. And um, I really found myself in a world of, of pain and um, fear. I think fear is a, a really good way to, to describe what I experienced. It was very difficult. Um, I remember at one point just crying, literally, verbally out to God and asking for help because I I was experiencing things I'd never felt before. Um, and it's been a journey for sure. And at the very beginning, um, I didn't feel like I could or wanted to talk about it. I certainly wasn't going to go to church and talk about it. That didn't feel like a safe place for me. And I would actually go to church and I would see other people smiling. And I wondered to myself, am I ever going to feel happy inside again? Because it was, it was so devastating. It was so 
all, I don't know, it, it just was so difficult. It was probably emotionally one of the most difficult things I've experienced in my life. So I have a lot of compassion for other parents. And there often is a lot of pain that is expressed in this group. And I really feel for that because I've been there. Um, it does get better. So you do feel happiness again. I'll just put that out there right now. Um, but there were not very many people I trusted the story with. Number one, I didn't want other people to be judgmental of my child. I was trying to wrap my head around it myself and I didn't, I didn't understand it. And so I didn't think other people would understand it. And I felt like um, it wasn't really fair for me to tell the story through my lens of what had happened with someone else. So I didn't have a group to turn to. There wasn't, there wasn't a safe place or a safe space. So when I first heard Dave talk about this, I thought, oh yes, oh boy, is this really something we need in the church? And I hadn't heard that story about the Bishop Dave that talked to you about that before. So that was kind of um, nice to know. And I'm glad that that recognition is out there. Um, but I did run into somebody um I met someone whose story was very similar to my child's. And I, I was fascinated by that, that there were other people who had experienced what my child had experienced. And this, um, this new friend said to me, um, you are going to have to learn to honor their journey, whether they leave the church or not, because it wasn't clear at first what, what was really was going to happen. And I remember just being stunned by that realization that, you know, I might have a child that would actually leave the church. Like that was, that was really something for me to wrap my head around. Um, and when I thought about having to honor their journey and honoring agency, something I had heard about my whole life. And I had been taught about in the church, my whole life agency since I was a child. And I really recognized that I really had no clue how to do that, how to honor the agency of someone I loved and taught and cared about when it differed from what I wanted for them. And so, and so there I was, there was my challenge, right? It was, it was really kind of on me. I was going to have to adjust. This was an adult child who, you know, was making choices for their life. And I believed in agency and I was going to have to learn to honor this agency. So this whole, you know, this whole journey began for me there. Um, so now, so that was just the beginning. That was a little over 10 years ago. So now we have four adult children and three of them have had big changes in belief over the years. And really only one of the four is really active believing um, participating in the church. And one of them identifies as queer. And so there's been a lot of learning experiences for my husband and I. And I will say that he was much less emotional about all of it than I was. Um, but we have great kids and they are incredible human beings all out there in the world, talented and doing great things to help other people. And we're very proud of them. So the answer is, yes, you will feel happiness again. It does get better, but it's going to take some time. Um, definitely takes some time. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. What brings me here? Thank you, Geraldine. Thanks for just okay. being honest. That helps other people know they can be honest in the group and with you. David. Yeah, so um, my wife, Rochelle, and I have raised um, uh, six of our children. Uh, we also had two foster children who lived with us for a lot of their um, being, you know, their teenage years. And um, 
Rochelle and I were on a mission in West Africa. Um, we were in Sierra Leone. I think Ebola was starting to come through our country. And we got a call from one of my children saying that they uh, didn't believe anymore and just wanted us to know. And we're 9,000 miles away. We're dealing with, you know, an, an epidemic. Um, we have kind of a complicated mission because of no infrastructure and, you know, pretty difficult living conditions. And so we just kind of didn't know what to do with it. And we just kind of parked it in our brain. And eventually our mission was closed and because of Ebola and we came home. Um, and so we, you know, we're kind of struggling a little bit maybe with post-mission um, uh, early release. Um, and then we got called suddenly on a mission to go to Palmyra, and I was the director of the Hillcomora Visitor Center in historic sites. And while we were there, we got a call from another one of our children saying the same thing. And so um, we, um, you know, were able to process that more effectively because we were in the country and uh, we didn't have uh, some of the complicating aspects of a mission. But, but Rochelle and I just kind of didn't know what to do with it. We didn't know whether to talk to our kid, um, our two kids. We didn't know how to talk with them. We didn't know how to kind of process our own feelings about that. Um, uh, you know, we we were always, we, we raised our children in uh, New Hampshire. So, um, you know, there weren't a lot of LDS kids uh, where my kids were growing up. And so we were always the active church going, um, you know, do all of these um, kind of high intensity and high demand activities in, in the LDS church. And I was stake president. And so you're kind of, you know, looked at as an example and all my kids were active and they all went to the temple and were endowed. And, and, and now I have two and, you know, I have um, not just two um, children that have stepped away from the church. And so I, I kind of have been over time on my own kind of processing these, these feelings. And I, I realized that I have a lot of identity attached to being the righteous member of the church that raises righteous children. And, um, you know, that's not the identity that I have now um, because my children, although they are righteous, they wouldn't be considered uh, on the covenant path. And, um, you know, they're not attenders and um, they're even not all believing in God. So, um, you know, how do I feel about that personally is one whole set of complex questions. And um, and then the, the next questions are, how do I relate to that child who stepped away, who's really an adult? Um, and then the third question is, okay, how do we deal with this in our family? And how do we create the kind of family we want that is now um, mixed faith? And um, I think Jerry is right to point out that that generalized um, men process this maybe a little bit different than women. And it's worth noting that um, many, uh, more than half by a substantial amount of people in the Bridges group are women. Um, uh, maybe they have that identity more. Maybe they're just maybe more emotionally accepts, uh, accessible to those kinds of issues that 
you know, it affected me deeply emotionally too. Um, and, uh, you know, we had to kind of process all of that stuff out. It's been now, what, six, eight years. So we're probably about on Geraldine's timeline. And we've kind of worked through most of those issues. And there isn't kind of tension either with inside me, with my relationship with my child, or with my family as a whole. But we made plenty of mistakes along the way. And there were plenty of, you know, gut punches and tears and, you know, feeling like the, the bottom of the earth was no longer there as we felt in free fall. And I think both of us in this group have realized that this, these are pretty common feelings. Um, and I remember once going uh, to church and it was a fast and testimony meeting and everyone was able to, you know, bear their testimonies and it was all shiny and pretty and everything was good. And I just kind of after church said to Rochelle, you know, we all belong to a, the same club, but no one is willing to acknowledge it because I was aware that, you know, there were these issues really with everyone. But when we're at our Sunday best, sometimes we're not at our most willing to confide in these kinds of challenges in our lives. And so we don't get the communal support uh, we would get at church if, you know, we had a, a loss of a job or, um, uh, you know, a, 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 an injury or a case of cancer um, where, you know, those things are overt and um, unrelated to questions of faith. And, and the community is able to rally around that. Uh, they know what to do. Sometimes they say weird things, but generally they really know what to do and ways to help. But when it comes to a family becoming what I call mixed faith, where there's really divergence of faith, often people don't know how to engage and the community doesn't know how to support. Thanks to both of you. Um, will you take just a second? Because I think um, your journey led to you writing the book Bridges, if that's not really on the script, but I'd love you because Bridges came about because of your personal journey, Dave, to understand. And I'd love to just, if any listeners aren't aware of Book Bridges, just talk about that for a second. Yeah. So um, why we're dealing with this, we're back from our mission from Palmyra and our stake presidency asked Rochelle and I to uh, do a service mission to reach out to those that don't attend from our stake. And we had um, about a thousand members that are non-attenders, uh, adults. Um, we have a singles ward too, but they're not in our stake. They're in a single stake. So these are, you know, um, people who, um, for one reason or another, have stepped away. And so there's a thousand, and Rochelle and I can't go visit them all. So um, we worked with our stake presidency and and said, why don't we figure out why they don't attend and then we can help leadership understand ways in which to reach out to them or better understand how um, their concerns can be considered at church and um, so we started that work and you know i'm already part way down the road of trying to understand my children and realize that that um, the narrative that we sometimes have at church, which is um, there clearly must be uh, sin or someone's offended or someone's not being devout enough, 
for the reasons why people are stepping aside. And that wasn't the reasons for my children stepping aside. And, and, um, so we, um, you know, found out by talking to people that it wasn't those issues for them either. And so we um, started working with our stake, trying to give them context of why people step aside. Um, and and that ended up, um, of course, being a 20-minute PowerPoint in a state council meeting, realizing you can't cover all that complexity. So it felt like it needed uh, a more thorough discussion. And so it led to me publishing uh, Bridges Ministering to Those Who Question, which is really designed to help um, members and leaders, you know, all members or leaders one way or another at one time or another, understand these issues so that we could be um, more understanding and more comprehending of what their concerns are so that we can truly minister to them um, in non not the program sense, but in terms of love and compassion and understanding, um, sometimes mourning, um, certainly comforting, as um, their faith deconstructs or you know they're unsure what they're going to do next with regards to their um, religious life and the implication that has for their relationships and their family. Thank you, listeners. We'll link to that in the show notes also. Um, there's a second edition that Dave just finished, and so that's been updated from the original one. We'll link to that. Um, I th- the second, qu- we kind of listeners often pre-prepare questions, so the second question is why there's a need for a group like Bridges and why is it created? We kind of touched on that, but Lee or David, are there any more thoughts you want to give on um, the need for a group like Bridges and why it was created? Yeah, um, I have a quote that comes to mind Good. by a friend, a friend of mine who both of you know, Susan Hinckley, often says, no matter how carefully in life we follow plan A, we are still going to come up with some kind of plan B. And I'd like to add to Susan's original quote and say, for some of us, it's like plan C, D, and E also come into play. So, um, you know, we kind of have this picture in our mind when we're raising our children about what life's going to look like someday. And I've yet to talk to many parents that really have that, um, those goals, those dreams, you know, play out the way that they thought they were. And so I think we have to be honest and realize that right now, today, we're living in a difficult time in the church. Um, The church has put out some essays on their website, the Gospel Topics essays. For some people, a lot of people, they run across those things and find that they were things that they were not taught through correlated correlation in church. And for some people, it really pulls the rug out from under them. um, And it's a big deal. We also have some difficult social issues that I think our next generation is specific um sensitive to and so are you know many of our adults so um i think we are at a time when um people are having to put are finding themselves in positions where they're making um ch- choices whether they about their belief about their faith and um and and for the younger kids really deciding what am I going to do moving forward for my whole life? Am I going to stay with this? And I know that was, you know, what I watched one of my children go through. So um, I taught a Relief Society lesson a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic hit. And it was on a talk given by Elder Suarez. And 
um, it's, it was entitled, um, how can I understand a really great conference talk where he deals with, um, how we handle and deal with people we know and love who have left the church. And before I started the lesson, I decided I wanted to get a snapshot of the room. So I asked all of the women, how many of you here know or love someone who has either left the church or have had a change in belief or faith? And as far as I could tell, every hand in that room went up. And so that's why there's a need for groups like this, because I don't know very many people who aren't dealing with it, who are at my stage of life. It's the rare, it's the rare people I meet where, um, where their children are all still, adult children are all still in the church. And so I realized that I felt very alone in it, that I wished there was a bridges group when I was in the throes of it that I could go to. And even if I was afraid to talk about it, just listen to other people and and get advice and learn from lived experience. And I think there's hope that can be offered in this process as well, that yes, it gets better. It's really painful now. And there's a lot that each one of us can do individually to strengthen relationships and build bridges in our own families, but it does get better. So that's my thoughts on that. Dave, did you have anything you wanted to add there? Yeah, Charlie, after Rashawn and I got to plan E, <laughs> we just stopped having a plan. Maybe, you know, that's what happens. We just now kind of move through expectations about our children in terms of we know the principles we will respond and they're old enough. They will make their choices and will be there um, kind of more on their plans. Um, one thing that has really surprised me about the group, and maybe it shouldn't surprise me, is the complexities of emotions that parents have in the group. Um, I'm surprised at how much shame and guilt is carried by these parents. I um, uh, have asked the group um, what kind of their questions they have in their kind of personal hearts. And let me just read some of the responses that I've gotten back. Will I ever be happy again? Um, what could I have done differently? Um, did I do enough? How can I trust myself as a mother? Is my patriarchal blessing wrong? So, you know, these are these are personal questions. These aren't how do I help my child? These are, you know, questions that come from hurt and brokenness inside um, these parents. And and I have asked these questions, not all of them, but I've asked questions that reflect this tone in my own life. And, you know, it's, you know, I would have, or I could have, or I should have, you know, I would have, could have, should have. Um, done things differently, but that's not the way life works. And maybe there's things that we could have done differently, but um, um, we weren't perfect when we were raising young children. Goodness, we were in our 20s and 30s, at least Rochelle and I were. So, um, you know, our life experience is limited. And even though we did all of the right mechanical things and tried to do it with the spirit, um, I've come to conclude we did enough and um, we should not um, uh, 
spend the next years of our lives blaming ourselves for the agency that our children have um, uh, have exercised and that we honor. So I've, I've been surprised about um, those emotions. And I think um, in a in a community group like a Facebook group, as opposed to kind of a general neighborhood group uh, where a ward might be or something like that, it's maybe easier to process some of those things. And that's why some of these posts come ac across anonymously is, you know, people are really caring, um, questioning about their worth, their um, sufficiency, um, whether they've done enough, whether they're worthy. And that that's a pretty heavy burden. And I, I hope that um, they can give that up, uh, as both Jared Lee and I have done over time, um, and that the group can help them with that. It's a great segment from both of you. Um, and I think of an LDS Living article that we may reference that Dave put together. Um, just talk about that principle of no empty chairs and how you're approaching that. I think it's in that LDS Living article, Dave. There's a really good quote. Yeah. There. So um, many parents, when they um, go to the temple to be married, I guess this is a couple. <laughs> Maybe they do have kids at this point. But when I went to the temple with Rochelle and, you know, we looked at each other and saw the mirrors and saw eternity. And, you know, there was kind of a phrase that I'm not sure where I heard. I, I've realized it, it comes from Emma Smith where she talked about how there would be no empty chairs. And I've heard it adapted to no empty chairs in the temple. And, you know, I think many parents have this idealized vision that, that one day they're going to have a family temple trip and all of their adult children and their spouses and, um, you know, maybe grandchildren would be in the temple with them and there would be no empty chairs. And um, that's not going to happen in my life. I don't think maybe it could, but it's not going to be next week. And um, I just realized that I want to have no empty chairs at the dinner table. Um, and I want um, every one of my children um, to, to know that they are always welcome. There's kind of nothing they've done. Um, I can't conceive of them doing anything that would cause me to not want uh, to break bread with them, not as an ordinance, but as, you know, family um, to do that. And that's kind of been a guiding principle is how do we create a setting so that all feel welcome? What do I choose not to say? Um, how do I say things that... Um, um, will help people feel warm and comfortable, um, regardless of their belief. They know what I believe. I don't, I don't need to tell them anymore. You know, what I need, what I believe, um, what I need to tell them is what I believe about them and what I feel about them. And there's a lot of maybe design work that needs to happen in order for that to, to be felt. But, um, uh, you know, that, that's where that phrase comes from. 
Geraldine, that was great. Do you have any thoughts on that, Geraldine? Beautiful. That's um, no empty chairs at my table is something I ad- adopted as um, my motto. I say it often also. That was beautiful, David. Thank you. I, I feel like it's really one of the only areas. Um, maybe I'm confessing to be a micromanager in my life that I can control with my children is how they feel about coming home, how they feel about coming to family dinner, how they feel about gathering with all of us as a family. Is my home going to be a welcoming place for them? Um, This can be a very divisive thing in a family. And you've probably seen it like I have. Um, but it can change relationships if you let it, if you're not careful and learning to really love unconditionally, not dependent on what the person does or does not believe is vital in maintaining these relationships and letting your kids know. So I've talked a lot about the emotion that I have felt as a parent. Um, Dave talked about that it gutted him too. Sometimes we have to stop and think that our kids are also, this is tough for them. Um, For my first child that experienced this in particular, it was like watching them grieve the loss of a loved one. This was hard. And so it's almost impossible, I think, for us to understand what we haven't experienced ourselves to be able to walk in someone else's shoes. But we can do is validate that what they're experiencing is hard and painful. And with one of my kids, when I was able to say, I don't completely understand this, but I can see this is really difficult for you and that this is painful. And I'm sorry for that pain. It was kind of a game changer in our relationship. So that's my goal is that my kids want to come home, that um, family gatherings are a time when um, we can enjoy each other's company, no matter what our differences in belief are. We are everywhere on the spectrum from belief to non-belief in our family. We are a mixed faith group and we still love each other and we still enjoy each other's company. So I think that article that Dave wrote is just masterful and vital. And so these are the kind of messages we want to, because we're a few years down the road on this path, to help others. Because people come into bridges and they're in pain. They're devastated. And I get that. It's real. And it's hard. But it does get better. So, um, Thank you for that segment. Um and I'll just add, sometimes I notice parents that are in this space for a period of time. I, I don't think, I'm not quite sure how to say this. I'm not sure they choose this, but given it's happened, there's actually blessings that come into their family. And some of those blessings are better communication skills, vulnerability, honesty. They've had to work hard to develop kind of new tools within the family that may not have been there when there was so much sameness. And often families report that our relationship is stronger as a family um, because we developed tools that weren't there yeah. prior in the family culture that allow the family to be a safe place for all of us to be honest, vulnerable, and we need everybody's support. Um, so I don't know if either of you want to comment on that or should we just go on? I do have one thought on that. Um, I think, well, maybe I have two thoughts. So first off, um, as as I prepared the second edition, which includes a chapter on mixed faith marriages, I talked to a number of therapists about the dynamics in families. And one of them talked to me about issues of what she called codependency. And since I'm not trained in psychology, I may have the term slightly wrong. But her point was that if our happiness is contingent upon the behavior of others, 
then we're effectively in a codependent relationship. So if my adult children do something, right, we want them to do stuff. We honor their agency. We we fought for that in the pre-existence. But if they do something that I don't want them to do, I'm unhappy, then that therapist is saying that that's, um, you know, that there's something wrong with that. Um, so I, I think we have to, um, I think people can come through this and develop um, a more complete sense of self and that I am happy because I am happy and not because my children are puppets that I can move in particular ways and have them do the things that I think they ought to do. And, um, you know, that's not just about disaffiliation. That's about a lot of issues. But um, so I think that the disaffiliation can be a slap in the face that can help you do that. Thank you. Um, the next segment is what have you learned from other parents? Um, Richard, I'll jump in. You just mentioned a few um, a few tools, and I'd like to add to that um, listening. And um, one of the parents that I've learned this from is right here. David um, has really taught me a lot about listening, that sometimes we need to just listen and offer no advice. Um, it's been said that deep listening is the kind of listening that can help relieve the suffering of another person. Listening without giving advice is not easy for me. Um, I came from a background of... Um, one of the things I'd like a do-over on with my kids, if do-overs were ever possible, is that um, I wouldn't always try to tell my kids that I had all the answers. Um, and so sometimes I felt like I always needed to have an answer for my kids. And sometimes I think that's not really helpful. I'm not sure that um, you're really being a good listener when you're listening to be able to plug whatever it is that you want to say at the end. Um, listening with compassion, listening more and talking less and listening without having to have the lost, the last word. I think all those things are really important things that I have learned from other parents. Um, one of the things that uh, we had a post in the group recently about fear. I talked a little bit about fear in my story, fear and worrying, like I'm the queen of worrying about what might happen, right? And so when your child comes to you and they no longer believe the same as they once did, or you see them making choices that are things that are fearful for you, um, it's really easy to worry about all the things that might happen. So this actually was a really beautiful post written by a member of our group who's also on the moderation team. And one of the things she said was, quote, we believe in a God who loves his children and who has made it his work and his glory to bring to pass their immortality and eternal life. So I don't think it's delusional to imagine good things in my kids' future. And I think that's really important to keep in mind is that um, just because their path may not be what we want it to be doesn't mean that they there aren't things we can't learn from them. We can learn things from all kinds of people that are different than us. And so that's really been eye-opening and humbling to me. And um, I look back on the painful things that have happened, but they have been my teachers. Often it's when we kind of get broken open that we're able to blossom and bloom. And so when I look back at who I was 
10 years ago, I'm not always so proud of the way I handled things. And I think although this has been really difficult and there have been times when I wouldn't wish it on a worst enemy, I'm also so grateful for the opportunity that I've had because I feel like it's helping me to become a better person. I'm not there yet. It's a process, but I do feel like it's a great growth opportunity that comes into our lives as parents and loved ones, because sometimes it's other people we love that leave the church. Wow. I wrote down some, that was a great segment, but um, broken open helps us blossom and bloom. I don't know if that's a preferred phrase, Geraldine, or you just ad lib that. But that's, well, there's a there's a quote by um, by a Cynthia Ocelli where she talks about how we have to break open before we bloom. So if you imagine a seed, you plant a seed in the ground before it can become a beautiful flower. It actually goes through a breaking open process. So if we visualize ourselves as being in that growth process, then it's then it's a little more helpful for me to. To feel like, okay, this is this is a part of becoming, and sometimes that's really uncomfortable and painful, but it can have beautiful outcomes. Um, Dave, do you have anything to add on what you've learned from other parents? Um, yeah, I've got a couple of thoughts Good. here. One is um, um, we have to find ways to process this personally. Um, it's usually out of sight and out of earshot from um, the child who stepped away. Um, we have a different role with the child than we do with ourselves. And I think Geraldine um, hit a really important issue. A faith crisis is a traumatic event. Um, another term for it is faith deconstruction. And sometimes that means that a person's whole view of the world and eternity has crashed. And that is traumatic, and it is very painful for people. Um, everyone experiences it differently, but no one goes through it with a smile on their face. And so um, us as parents, if we understand that, we can offer comfort. We may not understand it, um, but we can recognize that it's loss and that we care um, and that we're aware of pain. Um, we have to also deal with our own issues. And that you really shouldn't be at the same time. So the second is uh, listening is not something I do well. I actually don't think many people do it really well. I think we all, when we hear someone say something that it's kind of contrary to us, we're all thinking of the reasons why it's wrong and how we can respond and convince that person that it's wrong. If it's something spiritual, we'll go to a, a scripture or, you know, a general conference talk or bare testimony to kind of prove that it's wrong. But um, listening is really important here. And uh, I've kind of accumulated some listening quotes. And Sister Roberto, who was recently released from the Relief Society, said this, listening with love is one of the greatest gifts we can offer. And we may be able to help carry or lift the heavy clouds that suffocate our loved ones and friends. Um, and there's this guy, I don't even know who he is, but he wrote this phrase that just sticks in my heart. His name's David Augsburger, and he says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. I don't think that's in our scriptures, but it's kind of in my scripture now. Me and, too. It's amazing. Just have to really 
kind of feel that. So those are just a few thoughts that that I have. I know that people that get through this get through it with love. And love is the, I mean, that's the gospel. It's the first and second great commandment. It's love. And um, when we can figure that out, um, personally heal, um, then I think we get to where uh, I think President Nelson said, um, he gave you and me, speaking of God, an almost unlimited capacity to love. And um, I have seen that with parents. And, you know, there's some real challenges out there that that neither Geraldine or I experienced with this. And, you know, they're kind of laying them out there in this group. And yet, um, uh, you know, there is um, love that is there. And that's why what brings them to the group. And I, I've seen as people have navigated this, um, that it's love that usually gets you through. Um, and that's why listening is such a valuable skill is because listening is actually honoring that other person and recognizing that you have genuine interest in what they're feeling and what they're thinking and that you respect them as an individual enough that you will suspend argument or rebuttal or preaching and and you'll just be with them as they they do that and listening and love are the same thing Richard, can I throw something in right here? That was beautiful, Dave. Um, there is a great article for any of your listeners, parents who find themselves in this um, same situation that that Dave and I have from July 2020 Ensign, and it's called You Love. The title is You Love, He Saves. And here's the quote for me that's just gold. Quote, for a long time, I pleaded with the Lord to change their hearts. And finally, the Lord answered my prayers, but not in the way I expected. Instead of simply changing my children's hearts, he showed me that I needed to start by changing my own heart. While parents play an important role in teaching their children, he reminded me that my role isn't to judge or save them, but to love them. Jesus Christ is their savior and judge. And for me, that is just that is just the thing to keep in mind. Like we all need that on our bathroom mirror to read every day that, um, you know, you find yourself in these difficult situations and it's really an opportunity for us to to grow and to increase in love and to really learn about what un- unconditional love is. I love that. And we'll link that to the in the show notes, listeners. So you can read that full article, terrific article. And I think we've had the author on the podcast. Really good. It's a great article. Krista Mortensen is her name. Yeah. So you could, if you want to listen to her for full podcast, you could Google her name and my name and I'll pull up. Um, What do you think can be the most helpful for parents is our second to last question. You know, one of the first things that comes to my mind, and we actually just added this, um, quote from President, then President Uchtdorf when he said this to um, our group rules, um, 
this was from a talk by Dieter Uchtdorf, Receiving Light and Testimony. And he says, the church is a home for all to come together, regardless of the depth or the height of our testimony. I know of no sign on the doors of our meeting houses that says your testimony must be this tall to enter. So if there one thing, one thing that I think is the most important is that we don't judge each other. That um, like the quote that I just shared, that we let we leave that to our Savior and Judge Jesus Christ, and that for us, we just offer love. Um, I I just think that we've talked about already so many of the things that I think are important. What I want to help parents understand is there are things we can we can do as parents that will make a difference, that will build those bridges, that will invite our children to want to come to our table and to want to participate in our family, and that we can learn from our children. We can learn from people that are different than us, um, even though it may be uncomfortable. So there's a part of this for me that has been getting used to getting comfortable with being uncomfortable a little bit, you know, in this in this growth process, because um, growth isn't always a comfortable thing. And so um, sometimes for me, my life was I was checking all the boxes, you know, I, my, my sons went on missions, all four of my kids got sealed in the temple. And there was really a little period in my life in there where I thought, okay, so I've kind of done my job. Like now what, now what am I supposed to do? And little did I know that, you know, this big thing was going to be put on my path that was going to really change about everything about the way I saw the world and, and the work that I really still had to do. My work was not done. I was just beginning. I, I like to, um, my, my other personal motto is that I say, I'm far from what I once was, but not yet what I'm going to be. And I think if we all look at life that way, it makes the painful things in life um, a little less painful because we know it's going to get better and that growth occurs and we become a better person. And then we can look back and say, okay, yeah, that was worth it. That was worth it. So, but I think we need everyone in our families, whether our kids are in the church or not, we need everyone. David. The four deadly words, little did I know. You know, um, I felt those words too. I have a couple of thoughts here. One is um, we need to extend grace to ourselves. Um, we need to let the Savior kind of heal us, and we need to not be our worst critic. We do have a lot of identity in the church that we're going to raise up righteous children, you know, and no empty chairs. And, um, you know, if you train a child in the way of God, he will not depart from it. And um, those are aspirational. They don't play out in my life or Geraldine's life or I suspect the majority of your listeners. Um and we need to extend ourselves grace because that's what um, uh, Jesus Christ's atonement is all about. So if we can't extend our, our self-grace, then we really in some ways are um, holding back the full power of the atonement. I think time is important. I don't think you just jump through this. Uh, I think there's natural stages to go through. and. You know, we've talked, there's stages of grief that psychologists talk about. And I think that um, for many families, this can be a trauma. Um, and I think it gets healed like traumas get healed. Um, if it's sudden and unexpected, and there's a lot of um, 
kind of personal identity attached to a child being a particular way when they're 40 or 60 or 80, and that doesn't happen, then that can be traumatic, and we need to recognize that. Sometimes um, parents need professional help to work through this um, because trauma sometimes requires us to be able to unpack who we are, our identity, mentioned codependency, self-destructive behaviors. There's um, uh, uh, tools in cognitive behavioral therapy that help us not kind of catastrophize and fortune tell and, you know, um, make the worst possible outcome um, in our mind um, when in reality um, there's still love and unity in a family. The last thing I'd say that's been helpful for me is, um, okay, I've got a new normal. And I don't have a plan E, but I do have an emotional tone that I want to set um, in my family. And I, it goes to this empty chairs conversation. Um, I needed a guiding principle that would uh, help me um, navigate um, these issues with my children. And um, it is no empty chairs. It's also no matter, no matter, no matter, no matter what a child does, I will love them. And um, I, I had to um, find ways to express that to my children in my, you know, limited, stilted, male, emotionally stunted way. Um, but to the degree that I can do that, um, I can create that emotional fabric um, with um, the more emotionally resilient and expressive spouse I have in, in our home. And, um, you know, over time with personal healing and with that in mind, I, I think we are in a good place now. Both of you, those are terrific and I hope you can feel this. I mean, I hope you can feel the sincerity and the spirit, and I hope you're feeling impressions. I am, of what we can all do in our families, to to do the things that David and Jerry are talking about. Um, a thought came to my mind: there may be parents that are processing this through the stages of whatever at different times, and I think that's part of the grace talks about. Dave talks about is. Um, giving grace to the other parent as they're processing this perhaps on a different timeline. And um, it may be, and just supporting each other and as parents process perhaps on different timelines. Uh, what, the last question we have, listeners, is what goals do you have for your family, given that it's now a f- mixed faith orientation? Um. Our family is definitely a work in progress. My hope is that we will continue to support and love each other in spite of our differences of faith and belief, um, and that we can continue making memories and spending time together. One of the things that occurred to me last year, just before Thanksgiving, and I think Dave might have shared this in his new chapter um, in his book, is I started thinking about Thanksgiving, and I it was our year to have everybody together for Thanksgiving, and how diverse our family is, um, believers and non-believers, um, 
And I thought, you know, we've always had the traditional Mormon blessing on the food when we gather for um, dinner and we're going to gather together. And maybe it would be nice to include some other members of the family that no longer claim the LDS church as their tradition and let them. And yet I think there's something about coming together before a meal, um, the idea of saying grace, which we don't use that term very often in, in our faith tradition. But there's something beautiful about that, about giving thanks um, and uh, what we call blessing the food. And so I thought, well, what if I invited uh, some of my other family members to take a minute rather than just always do the traditional LDS blessing on the food and let them choose um, something, a quote, something from another, uh, you know, Buddhism or something to share. And so we did that last year at Thanksgiving. And um, my oldest son was really excited when I asked him to do that. And he got up and 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 shared a couple of really beautiful, meaningful quotes about um, gratitude and um, all that we're blessed with. And it was kind of this really interesting, cool moment where we felt like we could all in the same family honor different traditions and and beliefs or even non-belief, but still come together in gratitude at a time like Thanksgiving. And so that's something that we are going to continue to try to do to kind of rotate through. Well, yes, we'll still have the traditional LDS blessing on the food um, sometimes, but we will also invite in other perspectives and other voices. And I think that... Um, that that was really meaningful and important to a couple of my kids. And so that's just one example of things that we can try to do to make other members of the family not feel excluded. So that was just an idea and a thought that is, um, is kind of meaningful for us. I love the common denominator in that, Geralee, is gratitude and how people then could right. um, share within your family structure what that means to them and as part of a meal that represents gratitude and coming together. I love that. That's a great right. practical so, example. I mean, if we're, if we're keeping Christ as our example in life, right? Like Christ's entire ministry was one of healing and lifting other people um, and drawing circles to include people. You know, he reached out and he loved the sick and the broken and the rejected and the unpopular, and he shattered social norms in some ways. Um, and so how can I, as a parent, include all of my children to feel that they are all valued and needed and a part of this family structure. So that's, you know, that's kind of what I try to keep in mind is what can we do, even if it may seem a little out of the ordinary to have um, a little bit different thought before Thanksgiving dinner, rather than the traditional LDS blessing on the food, or you could do both. There's options, you know. David, do you have some thoughts on this question? I think Geraldine's thoughts and mine are very much the same, and I um, I genuinely uh, want to have love. Um, I, I know it ought to sound more grand and more complex than that. It's just love, and I um, I. Uh, this this quote by um, Elder Uchtdorf really resonates with me uh, because love is the great commandment. It ought to be the center of all and everything we do in our own family, our church callings, and our livelihood. Love is the healing balm that repairs rifts 
in personal and family relationships. It is the bond that unites families, communities, and nations. Love is the power that initiates friendship, tolerance, civility, and respect. It is the source that overcomes divisiveness and hate. Love is the fire that warms our lives with unparalleled joy and divine hope. Love should be our walk and our talk. Uh, he's so good. You know, he's an airline pilot. He's just <laughs> a poet in a second language. And um, that just really resonates with me. Now, I am not that. I am a work in progress. And so, um, you know, I am working on that, comprehending it and finding ways to to live it to its fullest. And, um, you know, that's my aspiration is to have our family, have my relationships really centered on what Elder Uchtdorf says, which ultimately is um, the message of Jesus Christ. Thank you. I have a question that's not on the list. Um, so that's, I guess, what us guys that do podcasts do. We write down things that come to our mind. Um, what in our theology and our doctrine can can you share that would give hope to parents that um, they're, they, they sort of see a path forward with no empty chairs at the table in this life, and they can, they'll do, and they're working down that road, but they still, in the back of their mind, are worried their kids going to be different kingdoms. Or there's, or the, you know, their kids out of the church are not going to be with them in the next life, and they have tremendous grief now for this um, perceived future separation. Um, do you have any th- thoughts in our theology or doctrine that can give parents peace in that world? Well, um, I have a few thoughts. I'm sure Geraldine does too. I um, I go back to this this aspect of love. Um, I know nothing in our doctrine that says that there comes a point of time or effort where God says, "I'm done. I'm out of here. I, you know, you had your chance. It's all over. You know, I'm going golfing. Um, you know, he." Um, his work and his glory is immortality and eternal life. And he didn't put any commas after that when he said that to Moses. It is what he does. Um, and so um, I think when we have fear about how it all works out in eternity, that simply um, reflects our finite nature to understand the depths uh, and the limits and the patience of our um, heavenly parents and God the Father and Jesus Christ specifically in our salvation. And um, some people have a fairly narrow view of salvation, um, and that's scary because um, that means a small percent of people are blessed with um, salvation. But I think God's plan is, is expansive. I think it is based on love and mercy. I think the only limits on it deal with our agency and our choices and not with some sort of arbitrariness that um, that we seem to imply upon God. So that's where I go. That's beautiful, David. I agree with you. Um, I find peace and hope in believing 
that we have heavenly parents who want what is best for all of us. I don't know how it all works with kingdoms in the next life. I don't know who's in charge of the turkey at Thanksgiving when we're all together in the next life. I don't know. But I have hope, and I think it's beautiful um, theology, the idea of eternal families. And my eternal family looks different than I thought it would. But I don't, I, I, I don't feel like anybody's given up, like David said. I don't feel like there's, um, my children are lost. I feel like it's, I'm, I'm trusting and I have faith that it's all going to work out. And I know that my children are good people. And I think what I've tried to focus on is what I can do today. And I'm kind of going to let the eternities work themselves out. That was a great last segment. Thanks. Both of your answers are terrific. And I think, you know, if we really understand our doctrine that you just shared, we should um, be really good at this in latter saint teachings and theology. We have this big umbrella of the plan of salvation, understanding about loving heavenly parents that want to win. And I think their definition of win is just the very thing David said, you know, my work and my glory. And they... I think as long as, um, I just think that gives peace. Um, it doesn't mean it comes overnight and you don't wonder, but I do think the things you shared are consistent with our doctrine. It can give us peace to focus on the things we control and leave everything else at um, the feet of our Savior and our Heavenly Parents. Anything else, either of you, that comes to mind you'd like to share? I'll just say to any of you parents that are listening that um, relate to some of the things that we've experienced in our lives, um, come join us in the group. And um, I think you'll find that there is support there. There's a lot of support in this group among people who understand what your um, feelings and emotions are, and um, you'll feel less alone. I know when I finally had a place where I could talk about things, um, it got a lot easier to be able to talk about it. And it was less scary and less emotional when I could actually be in a safe place where um, I could share things among people who I knew were going to be able to offer the love and support that I was craving. So come join us. Um, thank you. I've all, it, just a thought came to my mind that, you know, you listeners, I love, I love people joining the group, but this would be a great podcast for a ward council to listen to and then talk about what can we do within our ward culture to better support families and talk about these issues and know there's parents that are walking this road um, pretty alone. Um, could this be an Elders Quorum lesson that people listen to this podcast and then come to Elders Quorum? You've quoted a lot of our church leaders. This is a very doctrinally sound podcast, with, um, but this is kind of a discussion that could be in our wards, in our families. This is a podcast you listeners may feel, I'm going to send this to everybody in our family. And then we're going to have a family council about the things that we talked here and open up needed conversations that perhaps we've never had before um, because this is the reality of our family. And um, so this podcast listeners may have multiple applications as you're listening to how best you can use it in your circle of influence in addition to joining the group. So with that, um, Geraldy, my friend, Geraldy should start a side gig as a moderator <laughs> of Facebook groups. Um, David also no. is nodding his I'm going to retire from this someday. She is um, <laughs> sort of the dean of this space, as far as I know. And um, she just does so many things in so many different areas. Somebody that has personally helped me 
um, and mentored me in my faith journey and been very helpful for me, teaching me principles that have allowed sort of the ministry that I'm engaged in um, to be possible. And of course, my brother Dave, dear friend, and also a mentor to me. So anyway, um, we'll sign off with all this sugarcoating support of each other. But Jerry Renshaw, David Osler, and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Thank you both.